0: Many, many years ago, like the 1970s, a long time ago, I was in a young male gospel trio. It was two brothers from the church my dad was pastoring and myself. We traveled all over the Midwest giving concerts and we even recorded a couple of long play albums. Some of you will remember what that is. But every time we gave a concert, toward the end of the concert, there was one really big song that was pretty much what we closed with. It was a song about the second coming of Christ when Christ returns for his bride, the church. And it was called, Here Comes the Bride. And you do, uh, I'm sure, understand, of course, that the bride of Christ is you and it's me, the blood-bought, redeemed, blood-washed, redeemed of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us who declare his lordship over our lives. Well, I want to talk to you today about the bride of Christ. Um, It seems quite fitting and appropriate on what our culture defines as Valentine's Day, and I hope you are going to enjoy that day, even if it's snuggling up at home and being warm. I hope you enjoy a wonderful Valentine's Day. I want us to see what a privilege it is to be part of the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really want to be sure that we know how good it is to fall in love with the church. Now, I know when I say that, that there are many who feel like they've been hurt or wounded by the church or disappointed by the church. I understand that, but I want to present the church to you today in um, in a different way, which is less about the structure and the organization, and rather I want to present the true church to you in a way which Scripture does, which will help you fall back in love with the church if you have in any way felt disenfranchised, and to then simply encourage those of us like me who have loved and valued the church for a lifetime. Let me start with two passages of Scripture this morning as we approach this idea. One is in Ephesians chapter 5, and the other is in Revelation 19. If you have a Bible handy or close or device, I invite you to join with us as we read. Ephesians 5 says this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved us the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did, did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Clearly we see that Paul is referring to the church in the female gender as the bride of Christ, And when he says that he wants his bride presented to himself, that Jesus wants his bride presented to himself without spot or wrinkle or or blemish, there is an inference here of virginity and purity. That's how we are to be presented. So with with that in mind, go with me to Revelation chapter 19 where it says this. "'Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. "'For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, "'and his bride has prepared herself.'" She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. I am sure glad that I'm part of the bride of Christ, and I'm sure that you are as well. And I am ready for the day when we can stand up and say, watch out, devil, here comes the bride. Here comes the bride. The church is not just a place that we go to. For some people, that's what they think it is. But the church is ju- not just a place that we go to. The church is what we are. We are the bride of Christ. So many people view the church something like a, a grocery store. They want to stay out of the fresh fruits and vegetable section of the store and head straight to the candy aisle. Uh, I understand something about that. Carbs and candy is all some people are looking for today in the church, and which you can observe in, in, in the way that they, they treat the church. And when you simply view the church as a place where you can come and be a consumer, you will probably look for the carbs and candy. And then when you're weary of, of the carbs and candy in that one grocery store, you'll find another store that has some new kind of candy or a new flavor of ice cream. And you will probably walk into that church with these kinds of questions on your mind. How can the worship minister to me? How can the sermon minister to me? How can the volunteers serve me? And by the way, where are the donuts? But the picture I want to paint for you today is that the church is less like a grocery store and it's more like a marriage. We are the bride of Christ coming into union with the greatest groom of all time, Jesus Christ the Lord. And I'm presenting to you today what I believe the church is. And I, I've done my best To alliterate it all with the letter P. Pastor Des would be so proud of me. He was the master of alliteration. But I've got it all with, with P's on it. I think. Number one, the church is precisely planned. If you were sitting in the room with me here today, you know I'd ask you to repeat that. The church is precisely planned. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In Genesis, we see the very first glimpse of what marriage is to be and what marriage is supposed to look like. Here's what Genesis 2.24 tells us. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united in to one. I'm going to propose to you that this verse is not only directed toward us in our earthly relationships as man and woman, which is the way we've always read it, and the context in which we've always uh, believed it, but I'm going to propose to you today that it is it's beginning to show us a picture of what God intended our relationship to be with Christ Jesus, how we are to be in relationship with Christ Jesus, That we are joined to, that a man leaves his father and mother, joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul quotes this same verse that we just read from in Genesis, and he says it like this. Now, Paul's words in Ephesians. He says, as the scriptures say, which we just read in Genesis. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. That's why I say the Genesis passage, it was our first glimpse of what the church was supposed to be and how we are are to be united in one with, with Christ Jesus. Now, I don't think I have to explain to you, any of you today, that the entire Bible is all about Jesus. I think most of us understand that. It's all about Jesus. Everything from cover to cover is pointing to Christ. I've even heard it said that the Bible is one book about one story about one person, the man Christ Jesus. The Bible is one book about one story, about one person, the man Christ Jesus. And for the sake of seeing how this all comes together, let, let me just talk about Jesus for a minute and, and his presence and how uh, all of scripture is about, about him. You may know this, but let me, maybe it's a review for some of us. We see Jesus in the story of Abraham offering up his son Isaac in the altar of sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrificial son represented by Isaac in that story. We also see Jesus in the story of Joseph. Jesus is the undeserving sufferer, which we see in the person of Joseph. Jesus is the blood of the, of the lamb, which was placed on the doorpost at Passover. Even when they put the blood on the doorpost, they marked it uh, vertically and then horizontally foreshadowing the cross upon which Jesus would die. Folks, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the rock that Moses struck, but he is not only the rock, he's the living water which poured out of the rock. We even see Jesus in the story of Jonah, who was in the belly of the whale for three days. That was a foreshadowing of Jesus and how he would go into the belly of the earth for three days and then come out as our redeemer. The cross of Jesus is the stick that Moses threw into the bitter waters of Mara. It's a picture of of the wood that Christ Jesus would hang from, which would become the cross thrust into our lives to cause the bitter waters of our life to become drinkable again. It's all about Jesus. Look at the story of the prodigal son. After squandering everything, the prodigal son comes back into the open arms of the Father, which represents Christ Jesus, who receives us back in after all the stuff we have done. All throughout Scripture, it's all about Jesus. We see Jesus. And why? Because Jesus is, I declare it today Jesus is the only way, He is the only truth, He is the only life. And so it's all the story of Jesus. And how are you and I then as the bride of Christ threaded into this story when we see from the very beginning that we are to be united with Christ as one, as we just talked about a moment ago? Well, that idea is underscored in the prayer of Jesus to his father in John 17, 21, when he said, I pray, Jesus praying to his father, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. Just as you you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. I wish I could get you to repeat the word unity. It's the yellow word in this one. That May may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I'm telling you this morning, church, the church is precisely planned. God knew what he was doing. The church was no mistake. It was intentional. Both the establishment and the the you and me part of the church, the us part of the church. Here's the second thing I want to communicate to you today. The church is perfectly pictured, perfectly pictured. All through scripture, we see this um, incredibly beautiful picture of this marriage beginning to take place. Even if we go all the way back to when Adam was created, and then uh, God created woman, Eve, from the side of Adam, from, from his rib. So think about this for a moment. Jesus is hanging on the cross so that we could become his bride, married to Christ. And where is it pulled from? He is pierced in his side at his rib and blood and water poured out. You see this picture in the Passover. You see this picture in all the parables. Why? Because our God is a a visual God. And then speaking of pictures, I want to show you something really unique that struck me as I was preparing this. Something unique from the ever-famous Proverbs 31. Now, ladies, I don't want you to get nervous. I know that you personally own Proverbs 31, and I'm not really allowed to touch it. I I get that. And I know we have many of you in the church who 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 declare yourself, I'm a Proverbs 31 woman. And I think that's a great thing. Because Proverbs 31 is this picture of the perfect woman, and, and the first nine verses of Proverbs 31 give us the picture of the perfect king or the perfect groom. And then it gets to verse 10, and it flips over to her and describes that she is really the, the perfect bride. And while we are, well, you ladies, I should say, may read Proverbs 31 and personalize it to you, and that's, that's fine, but here's what I want you to see today, something different. In reality as much as anything, Proverbs 31 is a perfectly picture representation of the relationship between the groom and his bride. The perfect groom we find in Proverbs 31:8 says, "Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, ensure justice for those being crushed." Yes, yeah, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. More on that a little bit later. And then we see verse 10. And for the sake of of, um, emphasizing this point and what I'm trying to communicate to you today, everywhere that we find the pronoun she, I'm, I'm going to insert the church. That's the phrase I'm going to put in. Because I want us to see this picture. Now, it's a little long passage, but, but I want us to see that not only does this verse apply to you ladies as the Proverbs 31 woman, that's great, I'm, I'm certainly not taking that away from you, but it is also an incredibly beautiful picture of the bride of Christ. Here we go. Stay with me here. Who could ever find a wife like this one? The church is a woman of strength and mighty valor. The church full of wealth and wisdom. The price paid for her was greater than many jewels. Her husband has entrusted his heart to her, for the church brings him the rich spoils of victory. All throughout her life, the church brings him what is good and not evil. The church searches out continually to possess that which is pure and righteous. The church delights in the work of of her hands. The church gives out revelation truth to feed others. The church is like a trading ship bringing divine supplies from the merchant. Even in the night season, even in the night season, the church arises and sets food on the table for hungry ones in her house and for others. The church sets her heart upon a nation and takes it as her own, carrying it within her. The church labors there to plant the living vines. The church wraps herself in strength and might and power in all of her works. The church tastes and experiences a better substance, and her shining light will not be extinguished no matter how dark the night. The church stretches out her hands to help the needy, and the church lays hold of the wheels of government. Get that? The church is known by her extravagant extravagant generosity to the poor. For the church always reaches out her hand to those in need. The church is not afraid of tribulation. For all her household is covered in the dual garments of righteousness and grace. Her clothing is beautifully knit together. A purple gown of exquisite linen. Her husband is famous and admired by all, sitting as the venerable judge of his people. Even her works of righteousness, the church does, even the works of righteousness, the church does for the benefit of her enemies. Wow. Bold power and glorious majesty are wrapped around her as the church laughs with joy over the latter days. Her teachings are filled with wisdom and kindness as loving instruction pours from her lips. The church watches over the ways of her household and meets every need they have. Are you listening to this? Her sons and daughters arise in one accord to extol her virtues, and her husband arises to speak of her in glowing terms. There are many valiant and noble ones, but you have ascended above them all. Charm can be misleading, and beauty is vain and so quickly fades. But this virtuous woman lives in the wonder, awe, and fear of the Lord. The church will be praised throughout all eternity. So go ahead and give her the credit that is due. For the church has become a radiant woman, and all her loving works of righteousness deserve to be admired at the gateways of every city. Ladies and gentlemen... I present to you the perfect picture of the bride of Christ. Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. This is who we are. You and I get to be, are privileged to be a part of this. So the church is precisely planned. The church is perfectly pictured. And in God's church, you have a particular position. You. You have a particular position. Once we understand what the bride of Christ is, then we all must ask ourselves, so where do I fit? Where where do I fit? Just me. Where, Where do I fit in all this? For yes, the Bible is one book about one story about one person, but it shows how you and I are intricately woven yes you and yes me how we are intricately woven into this story about one person in this 21st century the church the church that we know today particularly in the west as we are here in the United States of America how do we fit what role do we play is the church just some place that we attend to get our our spiritual carbs and candy and then leave? Or is this a picture of a snapshot in time that each one of us play a part into this relationship as the bride of Christ? Let me go back and review that 22nd verse, the long passage we just read. Her clothing is beautifully knit together, a purple gown of exquisite linen. Uh, probably most of us know that in Scripture, purple is symbolic of royalty or power. And in this verse, we see, based upon what this says, that the church is powerful. It, it has power. It's, it's uh, clothed in this purple gown. That's what that's saying. The church has power. It's, it's woven together. It's purple. It's exquisite. That church is a picture of us. Do you remember when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the, that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, okay, but who, who do you say that I am? And then it was Simon Peter who answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded to that. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Why is Jesus saying that to him? Because the church is powerful. Let me tell you, when we unite, when we dwell together in unity, I'm talking about Psalm 133 unity. When we dwell together in unity, there is nothing, not even the gates of hell that can stop us. Let me be a little more blunt about it. Jesus is saying this, there is no way in hell that hell can overpower you, church. There is no way. There's nothing more powerful than the united bride of Christ. But it starts with unity. Because our 22nd verse of Proverbs 31 says that we are beautifully knit together. Beautifully knit together in unity. Now this sweater that I'm wearing today has been knit together into something that hopefully fits me. It's keeping me warm, and it's, it's that same idea. Somebody knit this properly, and they, they did it very carefully to get it all to come together. And the bride of Christ is that which God has intimately and in a very detailed way woven together, taking every single one of us and, and, and our talents that, that we possess individually and, and, and all of our gifts, but then also the other stuff that make us uniquely who we are. Like, like He even can take our mess-ups. <laughs> he can take our issues. He can take all of the stuff that goes into making us who we are, and he finds a way to make it intricately woven together. And when it comes to this idea of, of, of knit together, there's uh, commentaries that I've looked at will tell you that this is referring to the ministerial gifts of his people, Paul would refer to these as spiritual gifts. He says it's important for us to understand as a, a, a viable part of the body of Christ, a body of Christ what our gifts are. Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Well, sometimes I think we want to make that a, a little more ethereal thing than probably what it is. I think you can discover your spiritual gifts when you're in the workplace. I think you can discover your spiritual gifts when you're at home or, or, or when you're with family or, or with friends. Maybe you're a great manager, and you can oversee a lot of departments and, and, and many aspects of an organization. You can, you're capable of keeping lots and lots of plates spinning all the time. We might say that you're a great leader, but the Bible would refer to that as an apostolic gift. Oh, get weirded out by it. Words like that, don't we? Apostolic simply means the gift of overseeing. An overseer, someone who has the natural ability to oversee. All of us have a gift. And when we bring them to the church, the bride of Christ, God takes all of them and he beautifully knits them together. And the unity that results thereof creates power. It's why he said that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against, he said to Peter, because there's power in the church, particularly when we come together in unity. The apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. You've seen this listed. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. And Paul says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not, he says. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Basically, go ahead and ask for all of them. Go go ahead and ask. Seek all of them. They're all good. Seek them all. You may not get all of them, but it is a very good thing to earnestly desire and to eagerly seek all of them. You know, uh, I hear often, I talk to lots of people, so many people will say things to me like, Pastor Dan, I'm... I'm just waiting to see, or I should get plugged into the church. I'm just, you know, I'm waiting to see where I fit. I'm, I, I'm just praying about it and, see, and, and to see where it is. I'm, I'm waiting on the right opportunity. Can I just tell you, here's my word of encouragement to you. If you keep waiting, you will never do it. I've been around too long. <laughs> I've been in the church too long. I've dealt with too many hundreds, if not thousands of people, to know that people who are still just waiting, they will not do it. All too often we see people come into the church who truly have great gifts. They really could be of great value, they could really help, but they stand back waiting for I'm not sure what. I'm not sure what they're waiting for. You may be a great speaker, you may be a great administrator, you may have great gifts in the area of hospitality, you may be great at whatever, but you're waiting on something. And I have to ask, why? Why are you waiting? You're part of the bride of Christ. He's called you to function in a healthy way and give your gifts to the church. Let me just encourage you today to step out from behind the veil and roll up your sleeves and begin to lift some weight in the church. We need some weightlifters in the church and see then where God takes you from there. Maybe you start by being a greeter. Oh, but I'm a wonderful speaker. Great, start by being a greeter. Why don't you start with the choir? Why don't you start by helping in kids' ministry or, or, or the youth ministry? There's always a need there. Those ministries are always looking for people to help. And you could be a weightlifter in those ministries. Start by getting into the ministry of helps and, and outreach through Bethesda Cares where it's an outreach to the community. That's another way. Bring whatever you have, be it great or small, and make yourself a viable part of the body of Christ. And not, not just a consumer of church services. It's what we have so much in America today is people who just consume church services. I, I hear it almost every day. Oh, Pastor Dan, we watch you online. And not only that, we don't, not only do we watch you, we watch Mickey Mouse and we watch Donald Duck and we watch Pluto and Goofy and whoever else. Obviously, I'm being facetious about that. See what great Christians we are? We we spend hours watching all this stuff. And that's really great, and I mean that, and I hope you are truly, truly inspired. But my friend, what are you doing to be a vibrant, weightlifting, viable part of the body of Christ, of the kingdom of God in 2021, in this day and age? Yes, with the limitations that we're all facing. There is still work to be done in the kingdom of God. Is your gift being intricately woven together into the fabric of this fellowship? When are you going to step out from behind the veil? When are you going to roll up your sleeves and put your hand to the plow? You are particularly positioned with purpose for your function in the body of Christ. You may not know how you will ultimately be woven into the fabric of this church, But let me tell you what you could at least do, but something you could do today. You could hand God a needle and say, here, let's at least start with this. Let's start with that. Got a needle. (laughs) I don't know where it's going to end up. I don't know where it's going to go. But let's find the needle and let's start weaving together. You know what, folks? Let me just be real forthright about it. You know, that's hard for me to do. You may be the CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation, but dear brother... Dear sister, it is not beneath you to join a prayer team. It is not beneath you to be willing to open a door and give a smile to somebody. It's not beneath you to render help to those who are more in need than you are. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. How can you serve the body of Christ? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but all the same spirit... Is the, but, the, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. The Word says that. Dan doesn't say that. The Word says that. So the question is this. Do you really want to help Do you really want to be a help? Then let's talk about what help looks like. What real help looks like. Romans 4, 4 and five says this. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. This is a picture Of us being beautifully woven together. The church is precisely planned, the church is perfectly pictured. You have a particular position. And lastly, number four, God's church has a profound purpose. A profound purpose. Bethesda does not exist just to be a place for people to come and attend. That is not why we're here. If Bethesda is simply a place that you just attend, it will also become a place that you very simply can leave also. And brothers and sisters, that is not what the church is about. I know I'm being a little rougher on you today. Maybe I would have been a little easier if you'd been in the room. We could have been together. I don't know, maybe it would have been harder. Who knows what it would have been. And I know that this is a sermon that ask you to come to the Word. We've talked about that, haven't we? Some sermons uh, will bring the Word to you, and then some, some sermons we're asking you to come to the Word. And, and this is one of those um, sermons where we're asking you to come to the Word for, for, for realignment, for correction, for conviction, and for rediscovery of the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus to see if we all measure up. That's always starting with me. The the mark is is, is up here. The bar has been set maybe a little higher than some of us have reached. The bar is high for what we are to do and to be in the body of Christ. It is much easier, trust me, to preach those sermons where I bring the word to you. I think last week was like that. Those are appropriate and there's times for that as God through those Holy Spirit gives us direction. The church needs encouragement, the church needs those those times are there. And we'll continue to do that. Bring the word to you for encouragement and for hope and, and for comfort. And frankly, I always know that I'll get more kind comments and texts and emails after the encouraging sermons than I will after preaching a sermon like this today when that's okay. Because here's the truth, if all I ever preach to you, Bethesda, if all that ever comes from this pulpit is the word that makes you feel better, which we will do, continue to do, but if you are not challenged appropriately from time to time, if we as a fellowship are not from time to time challenged, then I can tell you this, Bethesda will never become a warring church. We won't. If all we get is the stuff that makes us feel better, again, there's need for that from time to time. But if that's all we ever have, then Bethesda will never become a warring church. Rather, we will become a wailing church. That's what will will happen. And I, with all of my heart, I do not believe that's what you want. I've known you too long. (laughs) I don't believe that's what you want. Bethesda, we must become a church that not only knows how to carry a shield but we also now know how to carry a sword. Both are necessary. My challenge to you is for you to go back on your own time and again, read that Proverbs 31. That's starting with verse 10 through the end of the chapter and read it, not so much as an individual, though that application is there for you, ladies, but read it in light of the bride of Christ. Meditate upon it in light of the bride of Christ and what the bride is called to be. And I think what you're going to discover is this. That woman in Proverbs 31, she's got some strength and power. That woman has got some grit and fortitude. That woman's got a work ethic. Mm -hmm. That woman's got some wisdom about her. That woman's got it going on. She's not casual about much of anything, protecting her family, providing for her family. She's at it. I mean, big time at it. She is so all in. And that woman is the kind of bride that Jesus is coming back for. She's not a wailing woman. She's a warring woman. She's a warring woman. And I think we are facing a day and age where that's going to become even more and more important. The church should stand up against injustice. Every time we should stand up against injustice. The church should stand up in war, in battle for the unborn who are not given life. The church should protect the poor and the needy and the disenfranchised. We're called to do that. Jesus himself called us. The church needs to be others focused and not so much Self-focused. That's too easy to do. That's the kind of bride that Christ is returning for. The church is never represented better or more powerfully than when you begin to see the church as you and not them. Too many people want to come in, keep a distance, and they see the church as them. No, 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 no. It will never be represented better. It will never be represented more powerfully. than when we began to say, you know what? I'm in. I'm in this church. I'm in. It's not them. It's, it's me. You don't go to church. You are the church. You don't go to church. You are the church. And if we will change... If we will realign the way we view the church, then every one of us will be able to stand up and say, watch out, devil, here comes the bride. And it's the bride of Christ. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for it even when it's challenging to us. And I pray that somehow, even though it's done electronically today, you have penetrated the hearts of people Hope they didn't just turn us off, I hope they listened. Not only to the words, but the spirit behind it and the desire for us to be, as the Fellowship of Bethesda, all you have designed and destined and purposed for us to be. We want to be that church that you come back for without spot or wrinkle, the glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. So we give you praise today We exalt the head of the church, Christ Jesus himself, and we thank you for the privilege of being part of the family of God. It is a blessing. It is a blessing. It is a blessing. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.